Kara and Aiden, thank you for making that for us this morning. Um, you guys, last week we had, uh, if you were here, uh, you would have uh, met our founding pastor, Ed Carlson. He was a surprise guest in our service, and it was incredible to meet him. And uh, this morning we also have another surprise guest, um, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mike Sotsky, is here. Uh, you may have heard me talk about him before. He didn't found this church um, <laughs> <laughs> but he was my pastor growing up, and he is one of the reasons I'm a Christian and one of the reasons I've become a pastor. Um, Mike and Kim, your friendship means so much to us, so we're glad you're here. Um, make sure and rub his bald head before he leaves uh, today. Uh, you guys, a few years back, uh, Adrian and I, we went out to dinner with some friends, you know, as you do, and uh, there was three couples, and the two, two, uh, two, four of us arrived at the restaurant on time, and the third couple was running a little bit late. And uh, so we were sitting there waiting when all of a sudden, uh, all four of our phones buzzed. Uh, the group message or the group chat of this, the six of us, uh, the couple who was not there had sent us a message and it was like a voice memo, uh, a two minute voice memo. And so we hit play thinking maybe they're sending us a message that, saying that they're gonna be late. Uh, and we hit play and suddenly we discovered they did not mean to send us a voice memo. They were actually on the, in the car on the way to the restaurant having a huge fight. And they didn't realize that they were transmitting their fight directly to us at the restaurant. Now, as soon as we realized that they had not meant to send us this information, uh, we stopped listening to the message. We didn't go any further. And so then when they arrived... Uh, they walked in, smiles on their faces, pretending like <laughs> nothing had happened, right? And we all knew that it was really, it was, it was an awkward, it was an awkward evening. Uh, as a dinner, I wish I could take back. Um, but we do this sometimes, don't we? Right? We we go through our days, pretending, acting like everything is okay, when just under the surface, something is wrong. Just under the surface, we're a mess. We pretend, but there's this subtle tension that exists. Now, for me, I had my first run-in with depression in 2016. It caught me off guard. It wasn't something I was anticipating, and I didn't really know at the time that that's what I was experiencing. Stuff that had normally made me happy or brought me enjoyment wasn't doing it anymore. I found myself being really impatient with my children and not as loving as I wanted to be. And I was angry and I was tired and I was sad kind of all the time. And finally, I got connected with a counselor and uh, I remember describing this all to her. And finally, I ended up saying, I said, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I can't tell you what it is, but something is wrong. And she looked at me and she said, Lucas, have you ever considered that maybe you're depressed. And suddenly what I was feeling had a word. Suddenly what I had been experiencing began to make more sense. And acknowledging the truth about what was happening set me down a path of being able to uh, become healthy again. Because what I was experiencing had a name. What I was feeling had a source. And knowing what it was was half the battle, battle of getting better. Now when we look at the world, all around us, right? When you observe uh, the, the world around us, it becomes quickly apparent that something is wrong. 
The world turns and groans with injustice and suffering and evil. And everywhere you look, somebody is hurting. Something is very wrong with the world. So what is it? The truth is it wasn't always this way. The world wasn't always groaning in pain and sorrow. In, in, in the very first page of your Bibles, in the very first verse, it says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. He made the land and the sea and the animals and he made you and me. And, and like any great artist would do when he was finished creating the world and the universe and everything in it, he took a step back and he observed what he had made. And you know what he said? He said, it is good. He declared it good. God made us initially to be dependent on him, to trust him for what we needed, to look for him for direction. But something happened. Humanity decided to go their own way, like we often do, don't we? We decided we wanted to be in charge, and we rebelled against God. And that rebellion had dramatic repercussions for not just people, but the universe as a whole. God's good creation. The one he stepped back and said, this is good, I've made something good. It got broken. And the relationship with, between humanity and God became fractured. And creation itself, once good and perfect, became the sin-wrecked world that you and I know and experience today. Now, you might think, well, that's not fair. Why should we suffer for something our ancestors did so long ago? And you're right, it is not fair. Now, let me tell you, a long time ago, me and my brothers, I have three brothers and a sister, uh, Nathan, Josh, Jacob, and Jillian, and we were at a church picnic that this church was hosting. We used to do picnics. That was a thing back in the day. And uh, it was over at the Doug Barnes, Barnes cabin just down the road from us here, and we were in the field, and, and what happens when me and my brothers get together uh, just something comes over us, a, a competitive spirit, a competitive nature. You may experience this with your family, and we always do this thing, we will find any reason to declare one of us the king of the universe. And so it could be push-ups, it can be who can run the farthest or the fastest, uh, it's never who's uh, the best preacher, they, they never want to, you know, it's just me and the family, but... Um, so this time, we're at this barbecue or picnic in the field, and uh, so we decide we're going to see who can throw the football furthest. Now, I know I have no chance at this, but I'm going to compete anyways. And so my brother Josh, who has a cannon for an arm, takes the football, and he just chucks it down the field, and it goes forever. And then Jacob, our youngest brother at the time, who is still a kid, all of us are adults except Jake, he's still a teenager. And so we send Jake out to retrieve the ball and bring it back. And Jake gets about 30, 35 yards away from us, and my other brother Nathan, you kind of an evil look comes over his face, and he bends down and he picks up a rock, and he says, watch this. And he cogs his arm back, and he throws that rock, and it is a perfect arc, and it hits Jake in the back of the square, in the back of the head, and he drops to the ground like a bag of potatoes. And you guys, the very first thing we thought was Jake's dead. Right, We thought we killed our little brother, and so we sprinted over there, and he's laying on the ground, and he's all concussed and confused, like, what happened? <laughs> and, and there's blood coming down the back of his head, 
And the very first thing my brother Nathan says to Jake, very, very first thing my adult brother with children says to my little brother Jake is, please don't tell dad. Right? Nathan, is, as an adult, is still afraid of what his dad is going to do to him when he finds out what he's done. And the truth is, me and Josh, and we didn't want dad to find out either because we know that even though we didn't throw the rock, even though we didn't throw the rock at Jacob, we were all guilty of what happened. Even though we didn't throw the rock that broke creation, we still suffer the consequences of those decisions. And the truth is, every war, every unjust system, every evil thing, it can trace its roots back to this terrible moment in history. And this is why we know things are not as they should be. And it's not just sin and evil. We were designed to live in close intimacy with our creator, created to walk with him and talk with him in the cool of the garden like Adam and Eve. And that emptiness that some people describe uh, feeling, that longing for something that so many people have on the inside, uh, that's our souls, knowing that because of sin, distance grew between us and God. It's like that feeling when you go to the refrigerator because you're kind of hungry and you, but you open the door but you don't know what you want, right? It's, it's you know you want something and you're not sure what it is. We know we were made and designed to be right next close to God and, 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 and our, our, we know it and we don't experience it in the way that we should. And so this unsettledness, this feeling that something isn't right is a part of the brokenness of the world. And it's something the people of God have been working through for a very long time. Today is the first Sunday in Advent. And uh, Advent is a period before Christmas where we focus on uh, several different parts of the Christmas story. Uh, but before we get to baby Jesus on Christmas Eve, little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, uh, I want to go a little bit further back before his birth. I want to go back about 600 years. Is that the people of God, and, and this is written about in Scripture, had experienced a period of great success. Uh, they had arrived in the promised land, and it truly was flowing with milk and honey. It was everything they hoped it would be. Israel prospered in this time. They had finally hit their stride after so many years of wandering and, and trouble. And, and the crown achievement of this time was Solomon's temple. It was a beautiful temple made from the best materials by the best craftsmen. And, and everything was going up and to the right for them. Everything was turning up aces for them. And, but things started to unravel very quickly for them. And Jerusalem became under siege by the king from Babylon. Uh, his name was Kim, King Nebuchadnezzar II. And eventually King Nebuchadnezzar II would destroy the city of Jerusalem, would tear down its walls and destroy the city. And eventually he would raid the temple, this beautiful Solomon's temple, and destroy it and set it on fire and take all the riches out of it. And then at the end, eventually, he would take a huge number of God's people captive and, and, and bring them with him back to his own country in Babylon. And, they would, and there they would be slaves and servants. And suddenly, from a period of time of, of excess and, and everything going right for them, suddenly Israel finds themselves in the middle of exile. 
And the song that we sang this morning, the blessing, you know, the Lord keep you and bless you and your children and your children and your children and, your ch- and their children and their children and their children. It goes on and on. That song was an Israelite prayer that they used to pray. And when they were in exile as slaves, that would have been a song that would have been very hard for them to, to pray. Very hard for them to think, oh, God has blessed us in exile. They did not feel blessed. They did not feel God smiling at them. There is little dispute between secular and Christian historians about the facts of this exile. Everyone believes it happens. There's lots of archaeological discoveries that prove it, which is what makes what Isaiah said in his book so incredible. Nobody argues about the history of these events But the book of Isaiah is a prophetic document written by the prophet Isaiah. And it very accurately predicts the events we just talked about. It very accurately describes the main players and the people and the events of exile. And what makes that so amazing is Isaiah wrote his prophetic book about exile a hundred years before King Nebuchadnezzar ever showed up. Before King Nebuchadnezzar was even born. Isaiah had predicted what would happen to his people. He described a season of upheaval and unsettledness, describing just how terrible life would be for his people. But get this, throughout this very difficult to read book that predicts a bad time for his own people is sprinkled over and over and over again with the hope of God. He says, yes, things are going to get bad. I promise you they will. But take heart, rescue is coming. Looking past their despair and captivity, looking past their circumstances, Isaiah points to the arrival of one who will make the world right again. He points to Jesus. This is what he wrote in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. There is hope in Babylon. There is hope in exile. When everything feels broken, there is hope when you feel lost. There is one who is coming who will set the captives free. Now, eventually, the Israelites would leave exile and they would return to Jerusalem. They would rebuild its walls and they would even make an attempt at rebuilding the temple, but it would just never be quite the same as it was before. Those who were alive to remember the temple's former glory wept when they saw the condition it was in now. They were home, but things were still not right for them. Still just below the surface Something was wrong. The world was not as it should be. Now, hundreds and hundreds of years go by, and the once proud nation of Israel uh, in their own homeland are being oppressed by the Roman uh, uh, Empire. Uh, Rome rules with an iron fist. They take over Jerusalem, they capture all the cities, and they enforce taxes and laws and The people of Israel live in their homeland, but they are not free. They are an oppressed people once again. This time in exile in their own home. This is the world that Jesus was born into. This world that is not as it should be. And then this is one of Jesus' 
very first uh, sermons. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, Luke now, where, and I'm going to read it. It's a big section, but it's a really good part of Jesus' story, so I'm going to read it in its entirety. He said, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. We've already heard this line. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. And he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I am the rescue. I am the hope. Jesus came to set things right. He came to make a way for people who are broken to be made whole again, for the hurting to be healed, and for the lost to be found. And we talked about this very idea last week that Jesus made a way for you and I to be right with God. In an act of self-sacrificial love, he gave his life so that you and I could share in his righteousness and his goodness. Jesus made a way for us to be right. And we sit here 2,000 years later, a people saved by grace. And yet, the world is still not as it should be. And yet, still, under the surface, we know things are not right. There is war and disease. There is racism and oppression. There is so much abuse and evil in the world. And yet, we still have hope. You know, we started on the first pages of our Bible where we read that God created everything and it was good, but our sins set our world on a path towards destruction and emptiness. And now we're going to move from the first page of our Bibles to the very last. On the last page of your Bible, you discover that from the moment God created us, from the moment, from even before we fell into sin, God had already planned our redemption. He had already set into motion a plan where creation would be restored to its original glory. A time when sin and sickness would be no more. A time when we will once again walk with Jesus in the cool of the garden. When looking forward to the culmination of the history of our universe, this is what God shows us in the last page of your Bible. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his God. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. A time is yet to come. A time is coming when every tear will, will, be, will be wiped away, where every hurt, where death, where sorrow and crying and pain will cease. A time is coming when Jesus will set these things right. You know, the first Sunday of Advent, we talk about hope. And hope has a name. 
right? It's Jesus. And the beauty of Advent is we don't just look back at the story of his birth. The beauty of Advent is we're not just remembering some simple uh, historical fact that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. No, the beauty of Advent is that we look forward to a day when Jesus will make all things new again. Advent isn't about the past. It is about the coming hope of the glory of Jesus, the new creation that he has in store for us when the world, which right now is not right, will be made right. This is Advent hope. This is Christian hope. And here's the thing, the world is still broken, right? And we know it's still not as it is. We're not there yet. We are in this in-between stage. And just like the people of God who found themselves in exile in Babylon in a land that was not their home, right now we are the same. We know things are not as they should be, but we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, that Jesus will set things right. This is how Paul put it, and this is a long section of scripture, but he captures it perfectly, so I'm just going to read it in Romans 8. He said, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We to wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. It is the Christian hope to look forward to the day when Jesus sets the world right. All space and time and creation are marching towards that day. The Christian hope. Now, as I finish this morning, I want to give you two ways that I want you to respond to today's message on Advent hope. Now, you may have never looked to Jesus for your hope before. I mean, you look around you and you know that the world is broken. You know things are not right. You have questions about evil and suffering and pain, but you've never put your trust in Jesus. This morning, you could choose to do that. When the service ends today and the lights come up and the background music starts to play, on the side of our stage here, we're going to have a prayer team. And if today, if for the very first time or for the first time in a long time, you want to put your hope, put your trust in Jesus, go to these people and they will help you put those words into a prayer. And the second way you can respond this morning is by sharing the hope that you know with others. The season right now that we are in, the average person has found themselves more open to things of a spiritual nature. People who would never go to church all year long will wake up one day in December and decide, you know what, I might go to church this week or I might go to Christmas Eve this week. It's why we put so much energy in the month of December into making opportunities available for people to go to church. It's just something that happens. People are more open to conversations about faith. 
And this morning, if you have the hope of Jesus in your heart, I want to encourage you. I want to actually challenge you to think of one person or one family that you will invite to sit with you here this Christmas at Fort City. One person or family you will consider sharing the hope of Jesus with. And, and the truth is, it's not my job to convince your friends and family of the hope of Jesus. It's not my job, right? They don't know me. They don't trust me. I'm paid to say these things, right? Why should they believe me? But it is my job to convince you to be the hope for your friends and your family, for you to share the hope of Jesus in their lives. They know you. They trust you. It will mean more coming from you than it will mean coming from us. Now, it can feel intimidating to share your good news story with a friend or family, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out. Actually, if it's short, that's good. If it's only two or three sentences, that's great. It's a start. It's a conversation starter. And so I'm going to give you three prompts that you can use to begin a conversation about your good news story. You can start it by saying, Jesus has set me free. You might say, Jesus has set me free from my addiction to alcohol. My life is completely different. Without him, I couldn't do it. Or Jesus has set me free from crippling anxiety. I know I would never escape it if it wasn't for his healing. You could say, Jesus has given me a purpose I had no reason to wake up in the morning, but Jesus gave me a reason. Or, or Jesus has given me hope when I have had none. Or you could say, Jesus has shown me. Jesus has shown me the truth about myself, that he loves me even when I don't love myself. Or Jesus has shown me that when it all feels like too much, I can find safety in his presence. These words are words of hope that you can share with the people in your life, Jesus has set me free from. Jesus has given me. Jesus has shown me. These can be your stories of hope. Now, I know that often on Sundays after church, friends and family will get together and often will laugh about anything that goes wrong in the church service. Right? I, I do it. You do it. I know it happens. We make mistakes. Last week, I got up here without sermon notes like an idiot. It was funny. And then I kicked over my water bottle while I was praying. It was funny. Right? We, we, we joke. We laugh about these things. Um, <laughs> and actually, last week, um, Jeff came up to me at, uh, after the service, and he said, I just want you to know, at the power lunch last week with friends or our family, uh, we, could, we were laughing about how many times in your sermon you used the word circumcision. And it, it's true, guys. I said it like 14 or 15 times in one message, right? It's, it's funny. Uh, here's the thing, though. I want to challenge you today. After you joke a bit about whatever mistakes we've made here in the service, I want you to consider around the table, wherever you are, sharing with your friends, your family, or your kids your good news story, your two, three-sentence good news story. And you can use these prompts to help you. Just get it out there. Practice saying it so that when it comes time for you to share your hope with somebody who needs it, you know what you're going to say. Jesus has set me free from, Jesus has given me, or Jesus has shown me. This morning, I want you to consider putting your hope in Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time. 
And I want you to consider sharing your story of hope and inviting one person or one family to join you here this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Jesus, uh, we thank you. And we thank you that we can look around at the world we live in. We can look around at the pain and the suffering that we see all around us. Every night on the news, every Twitter tweet, Jesus seems to reveal the brokenness of this world. And yet, Jesus, there is hope. You have promised that a time is coming when you will set things right. But I pray that now, as we live in the in-between, as we live in the tension of, of there but not yet, as we live in the tension of a coming uh, future hope, Jesus, that right now you will help us to live in this world as ambassadors of your love and uh, ambassadors of your hope and ambassadors of your joy. Jesus, help us to live now in light of the future glory that you have promised for us. And Jesus, for those in this room who are, are, are desiring to take that next step in faith with you, give them the courage to make that step. And for the rest of us, Jesus, give us the courage to share our good news story of hope with somebody who needs it this Christmas. I pray this in the holiest of names, in the name of Jesus. Amen.